And it's an intentional journey, a four-year journey that they will be going on asking questions of who am I? Uh, what is my identity? What is my purpose? Uh, what's my calling? Where am I supposed to uh, or live out this calling? Mm -hmm. And how can my major or what I believe my career choice should be fit that calling to make sure that I do find purpose in my work as well as in my daily walk? And we're uniquely um, able to do that at a Christian university. And Lipscomb's uniquely able to do that in a place like Nashville, where we have so many people coming from all over the country to a vibrant city, lots of diversity coming in one place. We really can have a richness of discussion from different perspectives around that calling and around what we really are meant to do as people in God's story. So I find what we do in Christian education compelling. And I think we're continuing to bring more and more people into that story. Dr. Candace McQueen, thank you so much for joining us on Faith in the Folds. It is a pleasure to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you. I was uh, I was very excited to hear last year about your inauguration as Lipscomb's 18th president. Is that right? That's right. And uh, that was just about a year ago. How uh, how do you feel like you're settling in for the first year? Well, it's hard to believe it's been a year. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, sometimes it's short years and long days. Uh, there were some <laughs> long days in that first year, uh, all intentionally long, uh, doing great things for our community and, and our campus. But ultimately, it's been a short year. It's gone by very fast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, as I was uh, reading through your bio, and I mentioned this before we started recording, I noticed uh, that there's there's a lot of names, uh, a lot of schools that uh, that I recognize as a fellow Nashvilleian. Would you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are? You know, how did you get your start in higher education? Help us get to know you a little bit more before we dig into what we're going to talk about. Sure. Well, my my parents are both educators and uh, were educators their entire career. My father was in higher education. He was a minister. Um, he was an entrepreneur as well. Uh, my mother was a teacher and a school principal at Fort Campbell, uh, Kentucky. And so I have education running through my blood. And my um, my uh, um, brother is in special education. And so I got to know the special education world very, very well um, because he grew up going up through public education in special ed. And so it was, I was sort of destined to be in education in some some way, I think. Um, but I, I did go to Lipscomb as an undergraduate student, majored in education, and uh, was a teacher at Lipscomb Campus School at the time. It's now the academy. Mm -hmm. But my very first teaching job uh, was actually physically on this campus. So that's neat. Not not wow. too far away. Yeah. Uh, I was teaching fifth grade. I moved uh, to Texas. Before that, I did get my master's degree at Peabody College at Vanderbilt, mm -hmm. and that was in educational leadership, and then moved to um, Austin, Texas. I worked on my PhD at the University of Texas there, 
and also um, was a teacher. So I, I taught in uh, multiple school districts in Austin and had the opportunity to come back to Lipscomb to be a faculty member. And while I was not, uh, I never really thought of myself in higher education. I loved K-12, mm -hmm. thought I might be a school principal like my mother, uh, maybe a superintendent. I certainly wanted to be in some type of educational leadership role. I guess the rest is history. I, I got into higher education when I came back to Nashville, stayed at Lipscomb uh, for 13 years. I was a faculty member, a department chair, uh, the dean for almost seven years, and then have been gone for eight years uh, when I was asked to be the commissioner of education by the then governor, uh, Bill Haslam. Mm -hmm. I left and served with him in his second term and then became the CEO of a national nonprofit called the National Institute for Excellence in Teaching and um, then came to Lipscomb as the president. So that has been my pathway, certainly yeah. K-12 education and higher education uh, throughout those, uh, I won't say how many years, but it's it's a good number of years now. <laughs> I, I was going to, when you mentioned Lipscomb Campus School, I thought, okay, all right, that gives me some, some chronology here. Uh, may I ask, when were you at Lipscomb Campus School? Um, so I graduated from Lipscomb University in 1996, and I okay. would have been at campus school between 96 and 98, 99. Okay. Um, did you say you taught fifth grade? I did. Okay. Um, both my wife and both of her brothers went mm -hmm. to Lipscomb Campus School. And so I don't know if the names Whit Jordan or Linnea Jordan or Peter Jordan ring any bells. They do. Uh, they do. Whit Jordan's uh, sounds familiar. I don't think I had them specifically as a, as a teacher, mm -hmm. but certainly knew the names as part of the uh, campus school at the time. So it's neat how there's always overlap in some way. Right. In our it's, world. Especially. Yeah. Well, I mean, same city, you know, Churches of Christ. Yeah. That's uh, well, that's wild. I'm going to have to tell my wife that uh, like, hey, she knows your brother. That's, who right. Is, that's right. Who is in higher education these days? He's a Spanish professor at Harding. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling that maybe there was an overlap somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I, I, I you're speaking to my heart when you talk about all the educators in your family. Uh, both of my parents worked for decades in public schools. My mom was a elementary school librarian in Goodlettsville. My dad was a band director up in Springfield. And my brother is currently a, a teacher and the athletic director at McGavick High School over there in Donaldson, just a Very mile nice. away from where he grew up and where my parents still live. So it's kind of neat to have all that. I had thought about going that route. And then the day I stepped foot into a uh, into a high school for pre-student teaching, not even real student teaching, pre-student teaching, I realized eh, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> so. Well, you do. Um you hopefully recognize that early on if it's not right for you, because it is a special calling to mm -hmm. go into teaching. You're giving of yourself, you're giving of uh, not only yourself, but a lot of your, your family's time and attention too. And so yeah. it is definitely an area that you're really called to. I truly believe that. And maybe one of the best professions there is, is to be able to give back, particularly to younger students. Definitely. Definitely. Interesting that in my current position, I teach multiple times every week here at church. And so I didn't escape teaching, but uh, maybe just certain, uh, maybe the location. Certain age is a groups, right, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Well, to uh, to move into kind of what I had wanted to talk to you about today, um, a couple of articles uh, came out last year, one from March from Gallup, where the headline reads, church membership falls below the majority for the first time. And then more recently in December of last year, P 
Pew Research uh, had an article that stated about three in 10 adults are now religiously unaffiliated. Uh, those are just two examples of a wide array of articles and books and podcasts and things that, that are out there indicating what many of us have known for a long time now. There is a general decline in religious affiliation, sometimes here called referred to as the rise of the nuns, which in a, um, in a setting like mine where uh, culturally there's a greater Catholic influence, you always have to pause and think, okay, well, how is nun spelled here? Right. <laughs> is it, right. is it uh, you know, what are we talking about? But with the general decrease in religious affiliation, how have you seen that affect Christian universities in your experience? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say first and foremost, even though we're seeing a, a rise in the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, as you say, uh, I think the no religious affiliation is noted as now about 20% yeah. in our mm -hmm. society. I have seen enrollment at Lipscomb and other Christian institutions continue to remain strong, particularly in places that are a vibrant city. Yeah. Uh, Lipscomb is surely uh, in a vibrant city. Uh, we have had enrollment increases really for the last multiple years. We'll see another increase uh, this coming year. And so I believe there's still a very substantial portion of the population who are seeking what we have to offer. Yeah, I, I do think in the data, what we're also seeing is that uh, religious affiliation in today's world is a lot harder to even um, categorize. Uh, people are in so many different types of churches that it's been harder to even get uh, clean data, as you know. And I, yeah. I've read probably a lot of the studies you have because of that spread in what people are defining um, as religious bodies or in terms of even what they call them. But there is, I believe, a large majority of our students at Lipscomb who continue to want more uh, than maybe what their religion is offering, but they are affiliating uh, with a religion. In fact, at Lipscomb, we have about 35 plus uh, religious preferences among our students, um, and that's among about 5,000 students. So yeah. we've seen that that enrollment increase and the sort of spread of religious organizations that they're a part of is certainly there. I'd say maybe what's more noticeable is that our students probably have less what I would call brand loyalty oh, to a okay. particular congregation or a particular affiliation that they may have had in past decades as mm -hmm. a student here at Lipscomb. Uh, but they're still seeking a spiritual focus. They still want something that is meaningful and um, creates a pathway for their faith to be action oriented. They know yeah. there's something bigger than themselves. They're seeking a community who wants the same thing. And while they may not be brand loyal to a particular faith, they still really desire to be part of a community that wants to serve others. Yeah. Uh, quick question for clarification. You noted just a second ago that about 35 different religious affiliations there. Um, does that include, within that umbrella of religious affiliation, does that include what elsewhere would be called denominations within sort of the broader umbrella of Christ Christianity? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So at Lipscomb, I'd say it's still, even within what I just described as 35 different religious affiliations or preferences, 90% of that would be within the Christian community. Gotcha. So within the Christian community from Church of Christ 
to Christian, to Methodist, to Presbyterian, and so on. So still 90% of our student body or greater, it really depends on the year, would be categorized in some type of Christian faith. Yeah. The rest, we have a few, just like you noted, that would be none, N-O-N-E, sure. and would note that. And then a few um, students that would categorize in a different way. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that uh, leads pretty nicely to, into the next question that I wanted to to raise. Um, <clears throat> you know, are there are there particular challenges that you've seen schools affiliated with churches of Christ faith um, you know, face? I, you noted Lipscomb and how you know how it is doing well. Uh, is that generally the case for schools affiliated with churches of Christ? Yeah, I think we see a decrease in the number of prospective students in Churches of Christ, mm -hmm. um, our particular religious background and certainly our heritage. Uh, we seek to continually increase the students who identify with the Churches of Christ, but the overall sort of prospective students in that space has declined. And our own data that our uh, professor, Dr. Trace Hebert, keeps up with across the Christian colleges that are in the Church of Christ space continue to bear that out, that those numbers continue to decrease. There is a decreasing pool generally of students in churches yeah. of Christ, uh, but again, what we are seeing is a larger body of Christian students who are not uh, brand loyal, mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned earlier, and so while they... Um, may identify with a particular religious body, even outside of the churches of Christ, they're willing to come to a school that has a different heritage, but has the same Christian principles, very Bible-based, very scripture-oriented, and they want to come to a place that has spiritual formation programming, Bible courses, uh, yeah. chapel, opportunities for students to worship together, and they want to do it in a place where they're also going to be in a community with folks from diverse backgrounds. Um, and so that's unique about Lipscomb. Uh, we we have certainly diverse faith backgrounds, um, but both of our last two entering classes of freshmen are very ethnically and racially diverse. Uh, mm -hmm. 31 and 30 percent respectively the last couple of years come from uh, racially diverse backgrounds. And so we're a community that really helps bring people together around various faiths. And we do so in a way that we believe um, can allow people to come around core values, biblical principles, scripture, and grow in a Christian community, even while our heritage, the Churches of Christ over overall, has probably declined, not only um, in our institution, but others like ours. And we are seeing the same pattern in schools that would identify with other religious bodies, mm -hmm. uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, um, Anglican, so on. Um, they've also said our numbers are decreasing in what we would consider our heritage, but yeah. yet we continue to be attractive to a larger Christian community. Yeah. You mentioned the phrase brand loyal there too. That That is something that I have noticed at least for maybe about 10 years. And it was, well, it was about 10 plus years ago that I went to seminary there at Harding School of Theology in Memphis and really started taking a look at this kind of thing. You're right. There does seem to be a greater willingness for people to just go where they feel like they fit in or can find what they're looking for rather than, well, I grew up going to you know XYZ kind of church. And so that's what I'm going to stick with. Any thoughts on maybe why the brand loyalty is fading some, particularly with this generation of incoming college students? 
Yeah, I think you hit it. I mean, generationally, I would say uh, this past generation and current generation, there's much more brand uh, disloyalty across the board, right? They don't have loyalty toward a particular product. <laughs> That's why there's been a sort of disruption in uh, products across the country. Like people were uh, brand loyal to, I'll, I'll use Levi jeans, sure. or you may remember the Lee jeans uh, of our generation. <laughs> well, there's not that loyalty. I mean, that we've disrupted uh, this jeans space. We've disrupted almost every space mm -hmm. because there isn't this loyalty to one brand. You're really picking the one that, to your point, speaks to you or uh, maybe be more cost effective. Or there's somebody now on social media that you're following and they're loyal to that brand. So I'm going to do that for the next month and then I may change my mind. Uh, sure. We're seeing that in job loyalty. Uh, people mm -hmm. switch jobs now, what, seven, eight times on average. And so we don't see the same loyalty to an institution. Um, mm -hmm. It would be less likely for the last two generations to actually spend their entire career in one place. And so that's crossing that's crossing over into uh, certainly our church affiliations and um, that brand loyalty that tended to go with this is the type of church that my family was a part of and I will do the same. Um, all of these things are connected. It's a shift in culture and a shift in thinking, and it certainly crosses over even into faith organizations. Yeah. And by the way, we're seeing a brand loyalty also dissipate in giving. Uh, so maybe there was, and I'm thinking more of from a development perspective, uh, we've seen families that forever uh, maybe have given to a particular cause, let's just say in this case, Lipscomb, sure. and yet their children or their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren don't have that same affiliation, even though they may have gone to school here or had some relationship, mm -hmm. there may be an organization that speaks to them socially in their environment or in their background or in their location that may now give get their giving as opposed to an institution, uh, yeah. which a university would be. So I think there's a lot of crossover there and there's a lot to learn about what we can do at institutions to continue to bring in more brand loyalty than probably what many of us get today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did not, I did not prompt you for this question, but I, I, I think it's relevant here. I wonder if some of the general um, eroding of trust in institutions is mm -hmm. also affecting that. Does that seem reasonable? I think that's reasonable. I, I also think um, it's trust and institutional loyalty has also been disrupted by social media. There's so many yeah. more causes and things you can get associated with now that you know about. Mm -hmm. Whereas 20, 25, 30 years ago, when I would have been thinking about brand loyalty, I only heard that through TV, right? Through a commercial right. or through word of mouth from someone. Now I can find so many access points to new things that I could get interested in yeah. um, that that also, um, I think to your point, erodes sort of the institutional brand loyalty. And of course, trust goes with that. The bigger you are, the more disconnected you feel, the less trust that you will get from someone too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you mentioned brand loyalty amongst generations. Um, my, uh, my mom, after uh, dutifully serving as a switchboard operator at Purity Dairies there in mm. town, she served at the same public school in Goodlettsville. For thirty plus years, I think. And mom, if you're listening to this, and I'm and I misrepresented you, my bad, my bad. But that she stayed put for a long time. 
Yeah, and that is uh, so near and dear to my heart, that loyalty to a mission, loyalty to a, a cause, and that consistency that comes with that. It, it builds so much um, excitement when I think of people who have been part of an organization for that long. I mean, that means there's a mission orientation that that person cares about. And uh, we want to build that at Lipscomb, and we can't just assume it's going to happen because we have a certain name on the wall, we have to show value and we really have to be the type of um, organization that people want to be a part of. Yeah. Well, speaking of showing value and being able to offer something compelling, let me ask, what can Christian colleges and universities, besides the obvious, what can they offer that maybe public universities can't? Well, you've probably heard the quote that uh, from Martin Luther King, which is one of uh, my favorite quotes about this topic, that the true vision uh, of what education should be was this idea of intellect plus character, right? Mm -hmm. It was this combination of the two. And I think we've lost some of that in many of our institutions across the country. And so Lipscomb really seeks to educate the whole person. This idea of, yes, you have this academic intellectual side, and that is the core of our institution, but you're a whole person. You can't dissect your character and your values and your purpose and your meaning from what you're pursuing intellectually um, and pursuing in terms of a career. So unlike public institutions, uh, we're a Christ-centered community. We prepare learners for purposeful lives, and we do that through rigorous academics and what we call transformative experiences uh, that allow people to really engage with their whole self. Um, our students at Lipscomb, uh, like they do at many Christian institutions, they intentionally engage in the question around their vocational calling. Um, who are they in this larger story uh, that God has written for us? Who are they and what can they become and how can they join God in the work that he's already doing? We ask those questions. And I'm excited this year, we're starting the Center for Vocational Discovery. Uh, it's something that every new group of freshmen beginning with this year's freshmen will now go through. Okay. And it's an intentional journey, a four-year journey that they will be going on asking questions of who am I? Uh, what is my identity? What is my purpose? Uh, what's my calling? Where am I supposed to uh, or live out this calling? Mm -hmm. And how can my major or what I believe my career choice should be fit that calling to make sure that I do find purpose in my work as well as in my daily walk? And we're uniquely um, able to do that at a Christian university. And Lipscomb's uniquely able to do that in a place like Nashville, where we have so many people coming from all over the country to a vibrant city, lots of diversity coming in one place. We really can have a richness of discussion from different perspectives around that calling and around what we really are meant to do as people in God's story. So I find what we do in Christian education compelling, and I think we're continuing to bring more and more people into that story. Yeah, definitely. So what stood out to me in in your comments there is this notion of calling, where I you know, it's certainly you know someone who who attends any you know, state school or something like that they are they're certainly capable of feeling something mm -hmm. along those lines. But for for those who uh, who head to a, a Christian school, a Christian university, they I, I think you're right to to drill down on this notion of calling in the sense that there is a specific. Uh, either line of work or a specific uh, path or something along those lines. It may change from time to time, 
but there is a uh, there's a there's a drive there's an invitation and maybe that's a good way to put it there's an invitation to uh, for for you the individual to uh, step into this work that like you said god has already kind of prepared ahead of time and you are joining him in the work that he is already doing could you talk a little bit more about maybe how y'all intend to help students uh, discern their calling? Because I, I think that's one of the most important things that a, a, a young adult today can can discern. Yeah, it, it's a great question. I think part of uh, our role is to define the questions students already grapple with. Okay. And to be very frank about these are the questions we know you're already thinking about. How can we help you with those answers and provide you with um, some of those answers, but you have to come and take those answers and take the next step, right? We are an educational institution that provides information. Come, We'll come beside you and mentor you. Some of the ways we're doing that is to try to uh, help students figure out their own strengths. Uh, mm -hmm. You've been given strengths and talents, um, and we know that those strengths and talents can be useful for the larger uh, story that you're in. And so we start with a strengths finder approach with our mm -hmm. freshmen. In fact, Friday, we have a big strengths finder event to where um, I'm going to get to be with all the freshmen as well and talk about some of my strengths. Uh, we're going to analyze Lou the Bison, um, our mascot strengths, um, but we're talking <laughs> about strengths and our students are actually taking their own strengths test and they're getting into groups and talking about it, and then we'll use those all year long yeah. uh, we're going to have a special freshman chapel it's the first time first time we've ever done that their small group chapel will be all together mm -hmm. and we'll be answering questions of a, a point that i think you made who is the caller i mean first to figure yeah. out your calling is who is calling you Mm -hmm. Right. And what does the person who's calling you, which we know in the person, in the entity of God, what does that person um, uh, say? Who Who is he? What does he want you to become? And really to dig into God's message around that. Then not only are we going to talk about the caller, but then how do you discern calling? I think you noted that earlier. Now, we're going to do multiple listening retreats. Um, that's unusual where you're actually going to retreat. And it's more about listening and being silent and being thoughtful about what you're being called to yeah. through your vocation and through uh, the service that you can can engage in. And uh, we'll have some resource people that are going to support our freshmen in that walk. And then finally, we're integrating very specific assignments that are reflective assignments, primarily through our freshman experience course, which is their first uh, English course and through their first um, Bible courses that they take as a freshman or transfer student. And so we'll weave uh, multiple assignments that really get at discerning that calling in these early courses. But it is a four-year journey. It's not meant to, you know, we're going to ask you these sure. questions. We're going to answer them all now. It's <laughs> yeah. a four-year journey. And I would even post to say, you know, it's a, for me, a 48-year journey, right? It's your whole life. Sure. You're really trying to discern what you're being called to do, but to answer and have mentorship to help you answer some of those questions while you're 18 to 24 um, is so, it's such a good foundation. It's so important for this age group. Um, and I think you mentioned that earlier to really grapple with this, even if they don't have all the answers right now, we're going to at least give them some um, places to go 
resources to utilize, scriptures that they can dig into, resource people that can be a support for them, and an understanding of their own strengths that will help them as well. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I I know as an undergraduate, I would have hated that, but I would have absolutely needed it. And I would have hated it because it would have challenged me to sure. do the hard work of figuring out, okay, you know, I'm I'm here why am I here? I've, I've joked before, um, you know, on other episodes and with friends that private school is an expensive place to find yourself <laughs> just to go to find yourself. maybe the best place to find. Yourself. But honestly, it was for me, it was exactly what I needed. Also too, you mentioned this idea of knowing the caller and that is such a beautiful image to me. It, it reminds me of something that my, both of my brothers, my older brothers would, would immediately pick up on. We could be almost anywhere within maybe, you know, 50 to 75 yards of my parents' house. And, you know, they could be in a you know neighbor's yard or down the street on their bikes or something like that. And then my dad would step out and he had this very distinct whistle that was code for, okay, boys, it's time to come in. You know, it, if the street lights weren't on yet, you know, then it was time to come in when we heard that whistle. And the reason why it worked is because we knew the caller. And so that calling was just in the neighborhood. It might just sound like any old whistle right. from anybody else. I mean, he would just, he wouldn't even use two, uh, you know, two fingers or anything. He would just poke his head outside and whistle, but we knew the caller. And so we were able to recognize the calling pretty quickly. That's a beautiful image, Dr. McQueen. Thank you for sharing that. No. One thing that uh, that I have noticed in my time in uh, private Christian education, starting with Harding University and then moving to Harding Graduate School and then uh, Asbury Seminary in Kentucky, where I got my doctorate, is this uh, this idea of uh, Christian universities and the struggles that they face to feel like they either need to remain faithful to their uh, to their heritage, whether it's Churches of Christ like Harding and Lipscomb, or whether it's a broadly Wesleyan tradition like what I encountered at Asbury, they either need to remain deeply rooted to that tradition, almost in, uh, in like a, almost seemingly in and like a dogmatic or an aggressive way, or they just attempted to let go of that tradition in hopes of being relevant. Is how can a how can a Christian university today, maybe one like Lipscomb, how can one you know still uphold you know the the good things of their tradition while also remaining relevant and appealing to a, a like you said earlier a, a large percentage of students who don't necessarily come from that particular brand, so to speak. Right. Well, I, I do think when you consider the challenges that face our society today, that face our students today, that Christian universities are more relevant and needed than they probably ever have been before, right? To have a center for truth, to have a safe place for conversation about what is real and authentic with people who truly care about your spiritual journey, it's more needed today than ever. So uh, let me first say, I think the relevancy that we bring 
um, is that. And uh, we've got to continue to show that relevancy through the way we really authentically engage with our students and our communities. You know, our goal uh, at a Christian institution like a, a Lipscomb and, and certainly I think others is to develop spiritual growth and transformation across the community and to do it in a way where we're all growing. Yes, mm. this is a focus on students, um, but we also are a heritage that we know we're all growing daily. And so our faculty and staff need to be growing along with us uh, as students. And so all that to be said, I think our relevancy is that we're all on this pathway. We're all growing in our, our Christian understanding, and we have the ability to really come together and have those conversations for the fullness and, and the richness of, of that community. You know, we know that developing students of sound character, integrity, faith are critically important um, in our culture. And so we want to engage in what we know that our surroundings need. Um, we don't ever talk about this near as much as we should. Uh, we didn't even talk about this in K-12 as much as we should. But one of the reasons why we have education, why we have a university setting, is to teach uh, folks to be good citizens, mm -hmm. uh, to have an understanding about their world and about what's around them, and to be able to live well with others. And so our uh, role at Lipscomb is to really do that through what we call our Lipscomb core, which is our general education program. Mm -hmm. So we want you to be a good citizen, but why, how we're different is we want you to be a good citizen of this world, but we really want you to be an exceptional citizen of God in God's kingdom. Yeah. And to do that in such a way that really does bring relevance to um, the coursework that they're in or experiences that they have, because we know when we're relevant, our graduates will then take that out into the world and impact the world, which is what um, our, our vision and mission is really about. So, you know, I, I think about your, your question, as a leader at a Lipscomb or a leader in a Christian institution, you have to steward um, and be a gatekeeper sometimes of things that somewhat can get in and change who you are sure. as a Christian. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to proactively seek to be relevant with today's world, today's students. And that's a fine balance. Um, but it's a balance that I think um, that you constantly have to be talking about and and you can get to if you're willing to proactively have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, especially going back to some comments earlier you made about, you know, calling and how callings related to identity and knowing the caller and and those kinds of things. It it would seem like you know Christian Christian universities are are you know well placed to be able to answer pressing questions today about well the value of human life and dignity of uh, individuals and um, right you know who who we are as uh, created in the image of God. And so, yeah, I, I would think that it, it should be pretty low-hanging fruit. Unfortunately, it doesn't always seem that way, but it, it should be at least. Um, well, um, as we begin to kind of wrap up our time here, uh, let me ask this last question. Um, what do you think the ideal role is? And we've definitely touched on it before. What do you think the ideal role is of, that Christian universities have on the one hand and and churches on the other, what in your vision would be an ideal relationship between those two institutions, a, a Christian university and a church? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think history is probably really important in answering this question. You know, for example, when one tracks the growth of Churches of Christ through the 19th and the 20th centuries and on even into the 21st century, it's clear how the the growth arch, if you will, of Churches of Christ corresponded with the growth um, arch of these affiliated uh, colleges and university. It was this time of growth among both. And so it's a symbiotic relationship. They they certainly played off of each other. Um, alumni from these institutions uh, across the country, whether that was Harding or Lipscomb or Abilene Christian or others, were also very influential in planting churches. Uh, mm-hmm. There was this, um, again, symbiotic relationship where you were wanting to grow in understanding how to be a Christian leader or grow in how to bring Christian um, ideals and principles and your faith into your your disciplines or your work. And that grew into, I also want to serve my community and there's not a church in this community. So uh, there was some church planting that occurred. So history there is is certainly interesting. I also see in our history um, that, you know, when the, when the uh, mission field uh, in certain areas wasn't as strong, like in the Northeast or the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could be directly connected to you did not have some Christian institutions that were associated with the Churches of Christ in those areas. Yeah. So where the church and the university was both strong, you continue to have this very rich symbiotic relationship. So I think what it tells you, um, and, and it's common sense, because I see this in Tennessee, where we don't have a community college, and I'm going to use that for, for just a minute, you have less high school students in that area choosing to go into higher okay. education. Yeah. So same thing here. If you have more Churches of Christ institutions that are thriving and growing and productive and giving back, hopefully what you see is then there is this a symbiotic relationship with churches that churches begin to thrive. Now, that doesn't mean small churches might not close. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly see that, particularly in rural America. But even as we've seen some churches close their doors, we're seeing some of the urban churches growing larger and larger and larger. And we're seeing more community churches or what I would call a different brand churches that have similar um, if not the same type of belief system consistently growing in those areas too. Um, I'll even go back as far to say during our restoration heritage, uh, we we had a split. The Churches of Christ uh, had a split, uh, as you well know. And um, a part of that, the independent Christian churches have continued to grow mm-hmm. in certain areas across the country, even while some of the smaller independent Christian churches or the smaller churches of Christ, some have closed their doors or have not been able to thrive. Um, but the reality is, I think, overall growth in Christianity that would be closer to our restoration principles and our restoration beliefs those have continued to grow and thrive. And I do think our Christian institutions like our universities have helped make that happen. You know, we value our heritage immensely. Uh, We would not want to have a university separate from our heritage. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're intertwined and we embrace our heritage. And we believe we can learn a lot from who we've always wanted to be. And uh, the restoration said, we want to be a, we want to be unified. We want to be unified around what God has said in the Bible. And that remains true today as we continue to march forward in our own sphere of influence. Yeah. Yeah. Let me uh, ask just another related uh, question about particulars. If you have some to share, um, thinking about a, a you know a school like Lipscomb or Harding or any of these others that uh, we have different affiliations with um best case scenario 
how is uh, how are schools like that helping local churches? W- what are some what are some mm-hmm. practical ways in which schools like those can help local congregations? Yeah, gr- the question is the right one to be asking. We have a a person that's over our church services, and and what we try to do is to provide relevant seminar topics, relevant educational topics that uh, are very unique that an educational institution can provide to churches that need it free of cost, you know, free of um, sometimes the reasons why you don't, you don't seek these out. So true expertise that um, is at no cost. We also provide actual resources, the curriculum, um, things that you can use directly that would be printed materials in your church services. We have helped churches, uh, uh, with interns. Uh, that's one of our biggest service uh, uh, moments is during the summer or during the school year. Uh, we help connect churches to interns who can help with youth group or children's ministry or adult ministries in a variety of ways. Uh, we serve youth ministers. Uh, we have programming here where we bring all of our youth ministers from area churches for um, support and programming and, and quite frankly, fellowship too, that sometimes yeah. is needed among people Absolutely. who are really in tough roles that serve on the front lines of mentoring uh, our students. And then I'd say the other way is we connect them. Uh, we try to connect folks together through whether it's summer celebration that we do each summer or whether we're bringing in folks for particular topics that we think are relevant that we want to, to play off of each other. Uh, we really try to serve in ways that say our best days are when we're partnering, uh, yeah. when we're when we're talking together about issues that are uh, that are relevant to each other. Uh, we've done topics, everything from church growth and the ways that uh, we believe are, are strategies around church growth to tough, tough cultural topics that churches are grappling with with their yeah. youth groups. Uh, we've done seminars on topics that are specifically around issues, you know, scriptural issues that maybe have caused splits or divisions within their church. Uh, we've tried to support that. So the full gamut, I think we've been engaged with and continue to be really a resource, particularly to churches in our area. That's great. And what a blessing, too. I know that um, that my church, uh, my home congregation where my folks still attend and where my brother's a deacon, was uh, has benefited uh, for years with uh, you know various partnerships and you know and you know interim preachers from from Lipscomb and I I really appreciate that. Last question, and I didn't prompt you for this, but um, what are you excited about moving into your second full year as uh, Lipscomb's president? Well, the first year was full of listening and learning, and I'm going to do the same during the second year. But the blessing is that we did as a community create a strategic plan. During our first year, uh, last Thursday, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to present that strategic plan to our entire community. And so this year, listening and learning at the same time that we're implementing some very key strategies for us as an institution. So I'm a person of action. I'm, I'm ready uh, to move on some things that were, were important to the people who really put together our strategic plan, but also important to me. Um, you know, uh, many voices were part of it. And one of those is that Center for Vocational Discovery that we've already yeah. launched. We're launching a Bison One Stop next week. Uh, we're working toward a new performance framework. We're working toward being a premier honors college here at, at the institution. We'll be developing a new Lipscomb core. So I could go on and on. There are so many things that have either already started that were part of that planning process or will be in full uh, momentum this year. And so I'm thrilled about that work. 
At the same time, I think what I'm most looking forward to is not being new, uh, right? So uh, not being new means that I, I can engage fully uh, without asking all the questions uh, mm. all the time. But at the same time, using being still uh, slightly new uh, to the advantage of being able to look at things uh, with fresh eyes. And sometimes I think that's the best role of a leader that's brand new is to come in and keep looking at everything with fresh with fresh perspectives. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Well, Dr. McQueen, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It was a pleasure to uh, talk with uh, talk with you about all these things. I am definitely going to take home this notion of uh, or kind of a, a renewed appreciation for this vision of uh, calling and knowing the caller. So thank you very much. I hope you have a good rest of the afternoon. Thank you. I appreciate it.